Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. They can pick four things that they cherish and wish to keep safe, and one thing that they rather regret, or even loathe, and are happy to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My very special guest in this episode is the comedian, presenter, writer, and actor, Lee Mack who is best known for his sitcom, Not Going Out, which he writes, and as one of the team captains on Would I Lie to You, where he constantly demonstrates the extraordinary speed of his remarkable comic skills. No surprise, then, that he's also been in 8 out of 10 Cats, Duck Quacks Don't Echo, Have I Got News For You, Live at the Apollo, QI, and Never Mind the Buzzcocks, which he also presented. He's acted in The Sketch Show, which won a BAFTA, the sitcoms Semi-Detached, The Smiths, Doctor Who, and the Horrible Histories movie Rotten Romans. He won the Best Entertainment Performance BAFTA in 2019, he's won six British Comedy Awards, an RTS Television Award, and the Golden Rose of Montreux. Basically, he's kept himself busy. Luckily, he found time to chat to me about the five things he'd want to put into a time capsule. And this is what he chose. Lee, how lovely to have you here on my time capsule. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I immediately, obviously, as anyone would in this situation, listened to all of your episodes. It was very good. But I was a bit irritated because I listened to David Mitchell's and the thing that he put in the for the end, where you put something in the, yeah. in the ground forever is what I was going to put in the ground. And I only listened to it about an hour ago. <laughs> so now I've got to put something in the ground that I'm less passionate about wanting to put in the ground, but still irritates me more. Well, or you could put the same thing in. It's we could put the same thing. Just, can... You could have competitive am I funnier about it. That's a good point, actually. That's a good we'll point. We'll play one against the other. 
I've changed my mind. I'm putting it back in the ground. All right, cool. Well, you may not remember, but you are one of the first people I spoke to about this podcast. I do remember, yes. I remember you saying, don't steal the idea. You said the first thing you were going to put into the time capsule was going to be a time machine so that you could go back and have this idea before I did. Did I say that? I should have thought of putting that in, and I didn't, but I, I might, I now might. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, are you going to do this as a telly show? I'm looking forward to the film rights. Travelling in time in a machine. I mean, that's not been done before. <laughs> Oh, it's a time capsule, though. It's a time ca- Has there been any films about time capsules? No, I think they're a bit dull. They just sit in the ground and nothing happens to them. Yeah, it's very much a, a beginning and end film, isn't it? The middle's a bit boring. <laughs> These 75... I mean, how long are time capsules? I only remember the Blue Peter one. Well, um, I think it's probably as long as you want it to be there. So some people have treated this as a thing they're putting down for posterity, as it were, for future generations. And other people have said this is a way to keep these things safe for their own dotage so that when they get old, they can look at it again. I mean, on that basis, I would suggest, certainly for me, putting them in for 24 hours, because I spend my life saying, I'm going to do this in the future, like tomorrow or the next day, and it goes out the window the next day. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is I've decided to get a... Well, I better save it now, because I was going to say I was going to get a new type of phone, but now I'm thinking of putting the phone in the ground forever, because you told me to be competitive with David Mitchell, and I might just do that, and we'll talk about it later. <laughs> it's not in my mind or I was going in the ground, I don't know where this is heading. I can't believe how much I'm messing your life up with this simple idea, I do apologise. I only listened to the end, I thought I better not listen to the rest, because he might be putting everything in the ground that I'm putting in the ground. <laughs> I doubt it. In fact, when you see my list, you'll go, no way. <laughs> it's not a whodunit, it's not, you know, just listen to the end and find out. <laughs> Who the I always do that. I, I've always had the habit, I don't know, it's a little superstition, not superstition, but a stupid tradition I have. Whenever I buy a book, I always read the last line in the book first. Really? Because I don't know why I do that. It's just something I did. I think it's like the thrill of, oh my God, I might be ruining the whole book for myself <laughs> by doing this. And, when it, and it's very rare. In fact, it's never happened where it's ruining the book because the last line, the last line of a book is very rarely... And it turns out the murderer was Steve, <laughs> the end. It's usually an off they sail into the sunset. But I just like to read the last line. Although it does occasionally spoil it, because then I'll go, ooh, I wonder if she's going to get killed. Well, they do sail off into the sunset. I wonder if it is they they are talking about, meaning this person in chapter two. <laughs> I mean, the easiest solution would be to not read the last line, but <laughs> I feel I've started that system now and I've got to carry on. Do you know, I think I do the same. You do? I've never thought about it before, but actually I quite often look at the end of a book. What are we doing? Trying to, trying to skip the whole thing, do you think? There's also a bit of admin going on, because I like to know how long a book is, and, and there's no point just looking at the thickness of it, because you go to the end and find out that the last 20 pages are, I don't know, reviews of other books, or... Oh, here is a 40-page extract of my next book. Yes, well, there's that. I've had that before. No, I always I read the last line just have a quick flick back to make sure that I'm reading the last chapter as well. <laughs> so how's um would I lie to you? Have you started? I'm in the middle of it now, not literally now. I haven't just taken a ten minute break to do this. Um we're in the middle of recording. So we've done three and we've got uh, about six or seven to do. And we are lucky in that we've got an audience. Oh right. What in the studio? Yeah, so we've got about 60 in the audience. Mm-hmm. And then we've got at Pinewood where we film it, there's a cinema. I've never quite understood why there's a cinema in Pinewood, but I think it might be for screenings or it might just be to give the staff a night off and let them watch a film. Yeah. But they are allowed to sit in the cinema as well. 
So some of the audience sit in the cinema and we pipe through the laughs and they watch it on the big screen, which always worries me because I think if they come all the way and not told to the last minute, you're not sitting in the studio, you're sitting in a separate room. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit, but, you know, some people get turned away apparently with these things. If you don't get there on time, you... Yes, I know. I've always thought that's terribly unfair. Don't you think people come along and they say, you've got a ticket, but we've overbooked it, I'm afraid, so you've got to go away again. I've been having this argument for many years and no one listens to me. I've got to stop shouting it and try and just calm my voice down and okay. say it more rationally. But a foolproof system for me is this. See, the way tickets are booked for TV shows yeah. is that you get an email, you, you know, register with a TV audience uh, website, and then they'll send you an email. And if you want to go and see the show, everyone gets on really quickly and clicks the button that says, I want two tickets or whatever. Yeah. And it's done phenomenally quickly and with no commitment whatsoever. Hmm. And it's free. So it's not surprising that if you needed 400 people and you gave away 400 tickets, it's only going to be half full at best. Because the other 200 went, oh, well, I clicked it, but who cares? So they have to oversubscribe. And they have worked out a rough percentage of how much you have to oversubscribe. But it's still not a foolproof system, so people are queuing up. And the the deal is, if you've got the ticket, it's first come, first served. Yeah. So people are getting there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the rain. (laughs) And some people get there a few hours early and are still turned away. So I said, isn't it better to charge them, say, a tenner for the ticket... So it's not so easily done with lack of commitment. Mm-hmm. But when they turn up, they get the money back. Yeah, very good. And then if they don't come, the money goes to charity. That's very good. Everyone wins. Would you rather spend a tenner that you get back and then not have to queue? Oh, my word. That's a brilliant idea. Why did they say, have they not taken any notice of you? I'm probably not telling the right people. Don't just tell an usher. I'm just telling people I randomly meet in the street. The response is always, what do you want me to do about it? I don't work in television. I'm the baker. (laughs) I think it's something to do with the rules. If you can't charge for a ticket, certainly for the BBC, because the BBC is funded by the public. Mm. And if the public have paid for this show, they shouldn't be paying to watch it. So it's free. It's a public service broadcaster. However, they're not being charged if they get the money back, are they? No, or if the money goes to charity. Or what if you have to register your credit card details, but you don't get charged. You only get charged a tenner for charity if you don't turn up. Very good. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, there we are. Well, Lee, um, we should get on and find out what you'd like to put into the time capsule. Yes. Otherwise, we'll chat for hours. Well, the first thing I would like to put into my time capsule... Can I just check? What's the... uh, this, this is for me, right? As much as... It can be for yeah. me, can't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is for you, something you find precious and you want to preserve. Yeah, or it could be for a thousand years from now. Yeah, yeah. Or something you think other people would find fascinating once they've discovered what it is. Fantastic. Well, in that case, this is perfect. I would like to put in a dartboard and a set of darts. (laughs) Because there is a chance that darts in a thousand years from now will be forgotten. Who knows? Could happen. Yeah. I mean, you only have to go back 50 years and no one that didn't play it knew what it was. It was just a pub game. Yeah. It wasn't on TV. And it was only because of, uh, I think I'm right in saying, the early 70s with Fred Truman's Indoor League, which if you haven't seen, I would highly recommend you watch on YouTube. <laughs> There's not many kids. And this is what people forget about that programme. It was a kids' television programme to begin with. Oh, yeah. It was on at about half past five, and it was presented by a man holding a pint of bitter <laughs> and smoking a pipe. <laughs> All right, kids, welcome to Indoor League. <laughs> and this week we've got cheese skittles. And they'd have all sorts of these weird pub games, one of which was darts. And then as a result of that, there was more interest in darts as the pub game, which became a TV event, and then obviously led to 
darts in the sort of early 80s and well, late 70s, early 80s, getting bigger and bigger with Eric Bristow and Jockey Wilson and all them lot. Mm. And then uh, slightly disappeared a bit, but then got rebranded again. And now is an arena filling event. Who would have thought that a, a, a game where the person on stage isn't even facing the audience <laughs> could fill an arena? And where they can't actually see where the dart goes. They can't see where the darts are. In fact, I got invited once to the darts through my showbiz connections and I was right in the front. So I thought it doesn't get any better than this. I was in the worst seat in the house because everybody else, you, however close to the front you are, you still can't see the ball. No. You've still got to watch it on the big screens. Yeah. And I couldn't see the big screens because I was right at the front and they were at the side. <laughs> so I was like, these are the worst tickets in the house. What am I doing here? So you have to work out what the shot was by what the caller calls. Yeah. I think I was actually sat behind the player as well, and given that most players are quite big, I couldn't even see the ball. Yes. I was just see the back of somebody with his name <laughs> on it. But I've been quite a few times to the World Championships and stuff, and, and, I, and it's the only sport... The reason why I love it so much is it's the only sport left that I can still beat my son. Mm. Because he's 14 now, and he's very sporty, and... I've got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and an 8-year-old. I'm pleased to say that I can still beat the 8-year-old at some things. <laughs> but the 16-year-old isn't quite as interested as the 14-year-old in sport. And the 14-year-old, every year, there's another sport that I'm now not as good as him at. And mm. that's the one that's left. And I know a lot of people listening to this will go, are you really going to call darts a sport? <laughs> <laughs> I not only believe it to be a sport, I believe it should be the Olympics. It's highly skillful. It's a very difficult game. If shooting is in the Olympics, why isn't darts? I have to say that I have seen you, uh, and you are a highly competitive darts player, but good at it. Yeah, I am. I am quite good at it. I'm certainly... Well, it's interesting, this, you know. It, it, I'm, I'm definitely one of the better comedian stroke show busy stroke actory people in, in... I don't want to say the word celebs, but let's put that in as well. Yeah. Yes. But it is also true that... I probably spent a year from the age of about 16 to 17 thinking, right, I'm going to try and be a professional darts player. So just spent the whole year on the dole, throwing darts, probably eight hours a day in my bedroom and doing nothing else. And then going out to the pub to join the team and realising that there's a lot more to it than just throwing the darts in your bedroom. It was nerve-wracking. I couldn't quite do it as well. And Mm. I've also since then played celebrity darts on, on for comic relief and, and stuff like that with big yeah. crowds. And, and you realise, you think you're good at summer, but actually the people that are really good at it that you never come across in life are so far beyond what you can do. You realise you are nearer to the people who can't play at all than you are them. Mm. And, it's, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, particularly if you put a year of practice into something. Oh, yeah. I was, I mean, part of that was due to the fact that I was 16, didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. <laughs> and the idea of spending a year just in the bedroom was quite appealing anyway, because I thought <laughs> that's it. I left school when I was 15, didn't know what I was doing with my life, and thought, well, I'll just I'll throw darts. It's quite good fun, isn't it? And also, the, the problem with darts is it's a sport that if, you, if you've never played, it doesn't take too long before, even if it's a fluke, before you reach perfection for a millisecond. If you start throwing the darts randomly, eventually one will land in treble 20. So for that moment, you've reached perfection in the sport. Yeah. And there's not many sports that you can do that. If you play golf, it doesn't matter how many times you hit that ball, it'll never go as far as a professional. No. It just won't. But with darts, you do reach perfection instantly, albeit it might have been a fluke. And so when I started hitting 180s, then I was convincing myself that's proper perfection. That's three darts going in treble 20. But that's a million miles away from, from being 
Yes, he's got to do this over and over and over again. I have hit 180 as well. I used to play a lot of darts in pubs and things. Oh, you're a player? Well, it's just the amount of darts you're going to throw. And in the end, you'll throw one and it goes into 60. And then you throw another at 60 and he thinks of, oh my God, this This is is my moment. This is it. And you throw it. And it does. I mean, I yeah. ran around the pub, you know, like a lunatic. Of course. Fantastic. I did celebrity darts, comic relief celebrity darts with Bobby George. And mm. at one point he was asked, what's it like to get 180? And Bobby George said, ah, it's amazing, he said. It's like a thousand butterflies flying out your arsehole. <laughs> Which I thought was a wonderful description of what it's like to throw 180. And, of course, we all know what that feels like. Oh, I dream of that. I've only managed 25. <laughs> Let's have a thousand coming out. Wow. Um, you have to eat a lot of caterpillars. Certainly do. And sit very still. Sit very still. <laughs> Stick a lot of leaves up there. <laughs> it's not pleasant. So, yeah, so, so darts is, is a sport I'm passionate about. I love it. I love watching it. I don't, I don't like it ironically. I genuinely love it. And if I can just blow my own trumpet for one moment, mm. I am in the Guinness Book of Records. Well, I was. What for? Uh, for most bullseyes in a minute. My God. I did, uh, well, what we, our generation will remember as record breakers, but now it's called Officially Amazing. Uh, and I was invited along after my celebrity darts appearance. And they said, would you like to go for a world record? I said, yeah, definitely. I said, okay, most bulls in a minute. I came along and they said, you're the only person to ever turn up for this show with an eight-pack of Stella. <laughs> and... Because I don't drink anymore, but back in the drinking days, I used to think I used to have a certain amount of drink to steady my hand. I now realise that's nonsense, but at the time I believed it. Mm. And I said to them, look, how long can I have, you know, to hit the most balls in a minute? How long have I got? If you give me 20 minutes, it's never going to happen. If you give me five years to do this, I reckon I could do it. How, how long have I got? And they said, you've got all day. It doesn't matter how long it takes, you've got all day. So I said, right, well, I know that I'm going to hit the steady hand for a very small window. So make yeah. sure you're rolling. Because to begin with, I won't be in the zone. Then I'll have a few drinks and I'll be in the zone. And then I'll be past the zone and I'll be, I'll be all over the place. <laughs> and again, I, I genuinely believe it's all psychological. I don't believe for a minute that the booze helped me do that. No. But I felt I was in the zone and I, and I hit 12. Well, it's bullseyes or 25, you know, the outable. Yeah. In 60 seconds. And you lose track of what you hit. So they give you a big build-up and they go, this time you hit nine or this time you hit 11. It's like, oh. And then he said, this time you did it, you hit 12. And I screamed and shouted and the kids were there. And it was a wonderful <laughs> thing. But I bragged about it on telly. And as soon as I bragged, the professionals thought, we're not having this. They all had a go. And now James Wade right. got 15 and he's the world record holder. James Wade would let me have it, wouldn't you? You would really think they wouldn't treasure that too much. But I got the book. I was in the book for the year. I had a little photo in the Guinness Book of Records, so I ticked that little box. So I'm putting that in the time capsule. So someone... And it could easily peter out as a sport. People could forget about it in a thousand years. Yeah. Well, I think we should put that, definitely, that copy of uh, the Guinness Book of Records in with the board and the darts. That's true, because if they find it, they might think I was a professional darts player. Well, they'll also think that you hold the Guinness Book of Records because they won't know any different. It'll just be that year, that book. In a thousand years from now, when, when it's resurfaced as a sport, and they'll say, who was the greatest of all time? And the only thing they'll have to go by, well, I know who one of the world record holders was. It must have been him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, it's going to work then. It's going to work beautifully. Yeah, we'll go with that then. I, th- I like that a lot, the idea of them thinking, when actually, in reality, I don't even think I'm in the top 10,000 in the world. No. So, hang on a minute. Are we going to go down the route of basically putting things in that when people find them in a thousand years' time, they think you were the emperor 
the greatest lover in the world. Well, I know what you mean. I don't think... I mean, I could, put, I could print my own Guinness Book of Records. No one's going <laughs> to... No one's going to know it's real or not. It could just have me down for everything, and it? it could say, greatest lover. <laughs> Lee Mack once bedded a thousand women in 14 hours and is and often considered as the world's greatest lover. 39 of them were satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> it says Lee Mack. <laughs> okay, but, all right. Well, there yeah, we are. So, I, so that's in there. You've got those I, in there. I want my dartboard in. And the, dart, the darts are essential. Because if you haven't got the darts in there and someone finds a dartboard, what are they going to think that is? Some sort of early clock? Yeah. What does it mean? What does this what does this contraption do? But the second you've got darts with it, you're going to put two and two together. And go, if we yeah. throw that at that, it sticks in. must have been a game. Oh, hang on a minute. There the, are numbers all over it. Let me look. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if you hit the little version of that number. I wonder, I wonder if you get a multiplication of that number. Let's call it the treble. In fact, forget all this. Let's find out who is the greatest of all time. Oh, there's a book there. <laughs> Hang on a minute. All it says is that some bloke was a brilliant lover. He was the tallest man in the world, <laughs> but he was also the smallest man in the world. <laughs> I think he might have been the only human being to have existed in 2016. And all history is gone from there on in. Okay, well, we'd better find out what the second thing is that you're going to put in the time capsule. So the second thing I would like to put in um, is an old man mask of myself. Uh, and this is an episode of my sitcom I did, this series. It's not been out yet. Where I had to, in the story, date my dad's girlfriend in disguise to sort of, I'm suspicious about her motivation. So I disguised myself as an 80-year-old man. And so they did a big prosthetic job on me, and it was incredible. I mean, it really was incredible. It was so incredible that I had a long chat with Bobby Ball, who plays my dad, and he didn't know it was me. Wow. You know, it really was very realistic. And it's quite freaky, you know. I don't know if you've ever worn one of these things. I, I have. I have, I've, but only in a fat version. I've just made myself extremely fat. On your face as well? Yeah. So it, was, it still looked like you? Uh, it did, really, yeah, just, just really. I'm not saying you're fat, up. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it looked like uh, I really, look now, is what you're saying. A fat version of you. <laughs> yeah. I think this was sort of the same, because they did a, a cast of my head, and that's the point I made to them. I want it to look like me that when I'm older, not like somebody else, because it's still got to be me in the sitcom. Otherwise, yes. the audience... I might as well just get an actor to do it. <laughs> yeah. They're so good, these prosthetics. I might as well just get an old man to do it, and then I'll just do the voiceover, but... So it was a version of me. So the structure of the face was the same, the nose was the same, everything was the same, but just me, very aged, mm. and then and going bald. And I'd just be interested to see how it pans out, because I have to say, I looked at it and thought, I'll take that. If I look like this when I'm, whatever, 85, I'll yeah. be delighted. But I think part of it was a psychological trick, because I was, I was thinking, I feel all right. Of course I feel all right. I'm not 85. <laughs> but... As a 52-year-old man, which is what I am, I feel like everything's falling apart. My knees are hurting. Everything's clicking and stiff and, you know. And then as an 82-year-old man or an 85-year-old man, let's say, I was thinking, I'm all right. I'm in good shape for an 85-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, this I'll is say not this. bad. <laughs> I can run. So I thought it'd be quite nice to see what I look like at that age. And if I'm not happy with how I look when I'm 85, I'll stick that on. I'll have that instead for my face because <laughs> it's so realistic. It'll, <laughs> you can put it back on. I don't like the other old man. Exactly. And something that happens when you hit 50, where you, you definitely start thinking of... Well, put it one way. The day I turned 50, mm. there was some programme on in the background on television, and it was two very old people, really old people, on an advert, sitting on a 
park bench and somebody's voiceover going, have you planned for your funeral? Oh, because if you haven't, then you may be lumbering your loved ones with the cost and all this kind of stuff. And then I found myself just staring at the screen for a second. And then at the end, it said, only available to the over 50s. Uh, and I thought, all oh, right, it's me now, is it? Mm. I mean, that, am I classed as, as old now? But for the first time ever, when you're 40, you still don't think about old age. When you're 50, you do. You start yeah, yeah. going, I'm 28 years away from being the 80-year-old man. It doesn't seem long, does it? It doesn't, not someone. I think back 28 years, I go, well, another 28 of them. So yeah. you do start thinking about it. And also, reality bites in other areas. You know, I've just done Soccer Aid. And there's basically three types of people that do Soccer Aid. There's the professionals that are retired. And when I say retired, they're still 15, 20 years younger than me. They're sort of celebs that really are too good. To, you know, you end up saying, why are you so good? And they say, oh, I played for Tottenham until I was 20 and then got <laughs> <Yeah>. released. That <laughs> level. They, they were sort of semi-pros. Yeah. And then there's the rest of us that didn't even make the school team. Mm. And of the rest of us that didn't even make the school team, I'm 20 years older than the rest of them. I'm the worst of the worst group. And it's very frustrating because 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been the worst of that. I'd have still been in the worst group, but I wouldn't have been the worst. No, no. just a matter of being able to run for longer. Absolutely. I'm looking around going, I, I know that I was more skillful than you back in there, but it's not just the energy. It's the... Your brain tells you your legs to do something, it doesn't do it. And which is proved by snooker, isn't it? Why aren't there 50, 60-year-old professional snooker players? It's not the most athletic event, is it? No, not really, no. But actually, the oldest world champion, I think, is in his 40s, I think. If that, because something happens. Your brain tells your arms or your legs to do something, and it, it, it's not having any of it. Yeah, it's not fair, is it? It isn't fair. I have to say, this is part of the reason I want to put the mask in there, because it, it's for my own personal, like, if I dug it up, I, I want some memento of that show yeah. because it has been a massive part of my life i've done it since 2000 well the pilot was 2005 i think wow you know it's been part of my life for the last 15 years and we're doing another couple of series so it's not coming to any immediate end so by the no. time the last episode goes out on telly it'll be approaching sort of 20 years of of my life and then there's all the bits before it you know the script versions before it actually got that far where we did little theater shows of a version of it and the original version it was me and Catherine Tate because mm. we did a sketch show together in Edinburgh you know so you can sort of trace the start of all this back to sort of 2000 you know um, it's just been a huge part of my life and we've had some brilliant people on it your good self being one of them uh, you've been on <laughs> twice haven't you I have yeah in fact when you were the doctor when I was in a coma mm. in the episode where I was in a coma uh, just to point out I mean we're not going out I don't mean when you were the doctor when I was in a coma <laughs> no, no. when you were a doctor and I was in a coma and I woke up and I said thanks for saving my life and would you like to be on my sitcom as a reward <laughs> and I got you into acting do you remember that I days? do when I gave up medicine a ridiculous thing to do medicine's loss was acting game <laughs> but I on that episode I'm still mocked by the fact that uh, you know I'm, I'm definitely a bit of a control freak with my show and I want it done a certain way and they were all taking the mickey out me saying well now you're going to be lying on a bed in a hospital with your eyes closed there's a limit to how much you can control in the scene <laughs> but then at the end of the scene they kept saying to me particularly Sally who plays my wife said you had one eye open didn't you <laughs> and I said well a little bit but you couldn't tell she goes well I could tell because I could see your little eye <laughs> darting around looking at us all seeing how we were delivering our lines seeing what we were doing uh... yeah so I always remember you sort of through half a little, little half open eye like that, just sort of looking out just checking on me keeping an eye on the on the staff yeah all I was doing yeah but also isn't it true that there was a very strange period when the BBC 
almost cancelled not going out. Well, they didn't almost cancel it. They did cancel it. Really? It was absolutely cancelled. After what? Sort of three series or something? Exactly three series, yeah. And, and it, it was odd because the first two series, I have to say, after the first one, I got a sense that, oh, this might not be recommissioned. It, it didn't take any roofs off with numbers. And it, it wasn't a show that everyone was taught. It, was, it wasn't a too dissimilar time as The Office and The Royal Family, those sort of mm-hmm. 2000 to 2005 sort of period, you know. And it, and, and it was also going against the grain because everyone was doing single camera stuff at the time and no one was doing studio stuff. So I was under no illusions that it wouldn't be, you know, embraced lovingly by, by the sort of the broadsheet critics. But, mm. but at the same time, it wasn't some sort of artistic choice it's the only choice i had i was a stand-up comedian yeah. they were an audience and without an audience i didn't know how to do comedy yeah. it was that simple i hadn't acted before so it had to be look like a stand-up comedian in a sitcom mm. and so that was the, that was the decision and and after the first series i was surprised to get a second chance and after the second series i was surprised to get a third chance but during the run of the third series something happened where people were coming up to me in the street and saying i really like the show and i could just tell we'd found our feet with it and people had heard of it mm. <laughs> i remember the day i went to the aquarium with my children and my wife and i was endlessly stopped and that hadn't happened before I was like, oh, we like your sitcom. We like, your... or even if they didn't like sitcoms, just they recognised me. So yeah. it, was, it was having some impact as a program. Even if they hated it, it was it wasn't just ignored anymore. No, and it was during that run that it got cancelled. That happens so often with comedy shows that actually it's not yeah. really until the third series that it takes off. I mean, definitely true of something like Only Fools and Horses, where the first two series they were very close to dropping that program. The BBC. Yeah. You know, I think it was the repeat of the second series that finally started to pick up an audience. And that was enough to encourage them to do a third. And imagine if they'd only ever put those two out. And that was it. You know? Well, this is the thing. And, and it, it, it was unheard of in this country that people would get cancelled um, during a series. Yeah. But I did a show that we did one series on ITV called The Sketch Show. We won a BAFTA. And then the second series, it got cancelled. <laughs> during the run. So there was eight episodes and only six got broadcast. And the same show got remade for America and then he lasted two episodes and got pulled. <laughs> That's what BAFTAs do for you. It was a very funny programme, though. It was a great programme, I thought. Well, we, yeah, we loved it. We still, me and... Uh, it's, it's weird, in this sort of lockdown era of people sending little uh, short comedy things on WhatsApp and thing. Mm. They keep coming up. I keep getting these things. And a lot of the time, people don't even realise I was in it. It's just doing the rounds, this clip or whatever. Yeah, yeah and that's quite odd because you, I remember once a very good friend of mine in Canada in the very early days of the internet sent me a viral clip of a sketch that I was in. <laughs> but this pixelation was so bad, he didn't know it was me. <laughs> and I said, how on earth did you see this? And he just said, well, I just found it while you're asking. I went, because well, that's me. And he went, no, it is. It's me in the middle. <laughs> so, you know, so it was, it was good for those very short, especially with Tim Vine in it, because Tim would come yeah. up with these shortest sketches known to man, you know, five-second sketches. It was it, out, go. It's obvious then that you should take Tim with you into not going out. Well, you say it's obvious, but actually I didn't write the character for him. I no. just, I didn't think of Tim. Well, I thought I'm a stand-up comedian. What I need to do is surround myself by actors. And like me, I thought Tim isn't an actor. We had done this scene at a bar that Tim had written with me and Tim sat at a bar. I can't remember the scene now, but it was just a single frame without cutting round, just the two of us, a little bit like Smith and Jones talking heads thing. Yeah. And we liked it. And I remember thinking, oh, that'd be, that'd be quite a nice little thing to use in a sitcom where they keep appearing at the bar. Just the shot. That's all I meant. Mm. Um, 
And so we, we ended up doing it and we, we, I wrote this script. And, and the original character of, of Tim was called Colin. And Colin was a, um, he, he was a Ferrari driving stubble on his face, mm. leather jacketed success in inverted commas in, in stockbrokery. My part, obviously. But we couldn't get hold of you at the time. I uh, know, I was probably busy. <laughs> Yeah. I had one eye on you as, as a doctor for a coma at the time. <laughs> Save him. Save him. Save him for the coma. I've got plans for you. <laughs> and so I, I ended up, uh, we auditioned so many people to play this part of Colin. And then in the end, I just couldn't find, it's very, so gaggy. doesn't matter how good an actor you are. If you've not got the experience of delivering gags and you've written a very gag-heavy script, mm. it's just very hard for people to deliver those gags like the character is telling a gag. They would invest it with so much meaning. And I'd have to say, can you just, just say it as if you're telling a gag, as if the character is telling it as a gag? Yeah. But the best person to tell gags are gag tellers, and Tim's the ultimate in the <laughs> gag telling department. Indeed. And so we brought him in, but he still was. We, I made him grow stubble. I made him wear a leather jacket, because <laughs> we'd already written the script for this Ferrari-driving stockbroker. And as soon as we got commissioned, I said, forget it. We'll have you in it, but we're going to rewrite it and call you Tim. Mm. The thing about Tim is he's, he's, he's a brilliant stand-up. But what I found amazing was you know, he was a much better actor than me. He, he, was, he was just a naturally good actor without any sort of experience. Mm. I, didn't, I hadn't seen him acting anything. I mean, his, his stand-up couldn't be any less gaggy. It's not, well, it, you could argue it's an act. Everyone's on stage persona is an actor to a degree. But if it is an act, it's one level. Yeah. You're not, he's not suddenly breaking down in tears in the middle of the... <laughs> of, yeah, that's, that's the audience's job. But um, he was a very good actor. And that's why I got very frustrated when he left, because I was like, why are you leaving? You can do both. You can do your stand-up. You can also be in this, you know. Mm. He decided he wanted to do his own thing, and off he went. And, of course, now Hugh. And now Hugh's taken that role of uh, middle-class Ponce. Yeah. And does it very, very admirably, very well. Um, and also, he's got, unlike... Tim, who was the girlfriend of, uh, or the boyfriend of Katie Wicks, who mm-hmm. played Daisy, the, their relationship was more about with us. So his relationship with us and Katie Wicks' relationship with us, me and, yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Yeah. me and Sally. But actually with, with Hugh, it's more about his relationship with his wife, Anna, who's played by Abigail Crundon. So that's a nice little double act to... It's lovely the way it's developed over the time, I think. Well, we've been, we've been lucky, actually, because... At the time, they seemed like frustrations, you know, like, oh, no, I had characters left. Miranda was in it. She left to do her own shows. And when everyone leaves, you, you think, oh, it's going to be it's gonna be difficult to redo this again. But actually, it's been a blessing because what it's meant is it's, it's been made to look different yeah. without any choice. Yeah. <laughs> the trick with writing comedy is to be a horrible person to work with so people leave. <laughs> that's, the, that's the trick. And then you, you just end up getting through somebody cast. Everyone goes, he's really developing it to moving it on. <laughs> you know, they're just leaving. You're a better actor than you think you are because it's very convincing, that role. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I think some people would know. Some people would listen to that and go, he's got a point. He is difficult. <laughs> yeah, the main change for us was we gave it a conclusion. We got married in it. And then I went away to decide if I wanted to do any more. And then in the meantime, made a pilot, a remake of Everyone Loves Raymond, the American sitcom. We remade that with me and Catherine Tate uh, again. And it was a choice either to sort of push for that once to keep it going or... Mm-hmm. Can't do both that and my other sitcom not going out. So I thought, why am I remaking a sitcom which has a father figure and a mother figure and a wife figure and a brother figure? When I've got all these characters in my sitcom, I've got the dad, Bobby yeah, Ball, yeah. I've got the father-in-law. So I just thought, I'll just, you know, why do that when we've got all the characters here, you know? Mm, so Just move it on. Move it on. Okay, well then, lovely. I should put that mask of you as an, an old man from your sitcom. 
See how it pans out. Well, yeah, you know, and then when people open the Guinness Book of Records, they say, how did this man do all this at this age? But it will also say the world's most successful sitcom. I know they've rewritten that as well. That'll be in there, yeah. But I won't put Lee Matt this time, I'll just put Not Going Out, and then they'll go, oh, it's not all about Lee Matt, there's a show apparently called Not Going Out. <laughs> I wonder if that was about the coronavirus. That virus that finished off the human race, and uh, now all we've got are these bloody time capsules, <laughs> full of semi-famous people's rubbish. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's how I'd like to be remembered. All right, marvellous, so we've done two things, so we've got two more that you love, and one that you want to bury in the ground. OK, it's time to take a short break for some adverts. We will be back with Lee in a jiffy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're back. So let's find out what else Lee Mack would like in his time capsule. Yes, so my third one is going to be, well, I want to put in my dog. Uh, The idea of putting my dog in a capsule and burying him feels (laughs) not particularly pleasant. So it might have to be a photo of my dog. What is your dog? My dog is uh, a Labrador, but it's a silver Labrador. I wanted a Weimar on her, but you're not great with kids, apparently. I I read somewhere. And if you start reading online what's good with kids and what doesn't bark too much and what's easy to train... Labradors are the Manchester City or Liverpool of dogs. They're always going to be near the top. Arsenal, Manchester United and other clubs are available. (laughs) Some Chelsea fans complaining. Tottenham, I'm not including you. Um, But I'm 52. My wife is 51. She won't be pleased. I've told you that, but she is. And we've been together forever, like since we were in our early 20s. And we always said we'd get a dog and we never have. And I grew up with a dog, uh, and she didn't, so she's never had a dog, and I yeah. only had a dog as a child. But, you know, my mum's dog, I didn't have to do anything with it. She sorted it out. So this, this has been... People say, don't rush into buying a dog. Well, we haven't. <laughs> We've waited almost 30 years to get a dog. Yes. The kids are growing up a bit, and we thought, let's get a dog. And it's been brilliant. We only got it about eight weeks ago. It's a puppy, and it's... My relationship with dogs started not great, because when I was a kid, I was bitten by a dog and ended up in the national papers which sounds more vicious than it actually was. It was a bite that involved three stitches on my leg. 
But back in the day, they... Uh, they had very little news. Very little news. In fact, so little was the news, if a woman took her top off in the 1980s, it would end up on page three. I mean, it was incredible <laughs> shortage of news. Yes. There were also weather forecasters and stuff like that, where they could say, Joanne from Bromley loves weather forecasting and she can see a scorcher coming on today, for <laughs> so can we. You know, so that's how I used to get my weather or, you know. You were very interested in meteorology. But they would always spin it, wouldn't they? The next day it would be uh, Joanne, 36, 32, whatever the dimensions are. <laughs> she was lots of ages, wasn't she? Is keen on financial investments. <laughs> She said, <laughs> she said, everything's bound to drop soon. Swore, I bet it will. But I was, uh, I was bitten by this dog. And back in the day, there was um, different devil dogs, wasn't there? You know, remember, they've gone through different phases, different fashions, haven't they, the devil dog? The original one was actually the Alsatian back in the 70s. Yeah. They had a terrible reputation. Then it became the Rottweiler and the Doberman. I think that was because of the film Omen. Mm-hmm. Then that morphed into the, uh, the American pit bulls and, and stuff like that. And so... During the phase of it being this, the Alsatians, and specifically guard dogs, and it was one of them that bit me whilst I was in a closed precinct that was closed but not locked, so I was allowed in there. Right. But what I shouldn't have been doing is sliding between the escalators and using it as a slide. Do you remember the days of escalators went up and down, and in between there was a big gap, and kids used to slide down them. Yeah. And it's now why you will see... No smoking signs or big spikes to stop that happening. They put studs on them, didn't they? Studs, yeah, because people used to love doing that. Yeah. And so I was doing that, and the dog walked past me, and the security man gave me a smile as if to go, carry on, lad, it's all right. And the dog bit me. Three stitches. National newspaper. Call the Mirror quickly. Well, it's Sunday People, which I believe is a spin-off of the Mirror, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was, yeah. It was about a year later, I was. they said they found out somehow, and they came around to where we lived, and they took a photo, and it was my first example of press manipulation. <laughs> I had a dog at the time, which was like a husky, and I had my arm around it for the photo with a big smile on my face, hugging onto my dog. And they went, yeah, can, can we lose the dog? Can <laughs> oh, you stop no. smiling? Could you look a bit more traumatised? It was all that. Oh. So there's a shot of me in the paper from the 1970s, which I recently found. It's quite exciting. I hadn't seen it since 1970-whatever it was. Yeah, and you thought, God, don't I look sad? I can tell you the year, because the front page said, Don Revy resigns. So whenever that was, 76? Uh, yeah, I would have guessed 74, but uh, around that time. Okay. Mm. Well, there you go. There you go. But your new dog. Yes, yeah, so my new dog. So we haven't had... We haven't had a dog for all these years, and as I said, my wife's never had one, and we've got this dog, and it's brilliant. You know, we're, we're, we're loving it. I never thought... Everything that I thought was a problem has become exciting. So the big one I said was, how can people pick up poo? Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it for my own children. Why would I do it for a four-legged beast? And yet, when it's a puppy in your house, and it's pooing in your house and weaning in your house, mm-hmm. when it finally goes outside and does a poo... It's the greatest day in the world. <laughs> and when it changes from sloppy diarrhea to a good solid bullet, when it poos, you're like, yes! And you pick it up with the plastic thing, obviously. You throw it away, and then you come in the house, and you hear yourself going, proper, so-. you even show a little finger demonstration of how big it was. You go, it was solid, <laughs> it, was, it went straight out, it didn't do it in the hat, and you, and you now associate it with, with a positive rather than a negative. You bagged it, yeah. you got rid of the bag. Bagged it. You know, as my wife says, you don't need to bring it in and show it me. I'll believe you. 
<laughs> just, des- just describe it. You know, it's Sunday morning. Maybe a coffee in bed would be better. You know, just a feeling of satisfaction that the dog now isn't going to poo in the house for the next four or five hours is wonderful. <laughs> and that's what I get from having a dog. Right. But yeah, it's, it's incredible. The other thing as well is... is I mean, I'd like to pretend this is just a good thing, but actually the truth about it is this is the negative to it a bit. <laughs> is the... Have you got a dog? I haven't got a dog, no. Well, people did warn me about this, but the endless endless chats when you go out i mean there is definitely some truth in the uh, stereotype that northerners create which is they're not blooming friendly down south are they but actually that is a bit true mm-hmm. but that's true of all big cities you know but there just happens to be the biggest city of all of them down south yeah. and people do tend to say hello to each other more up north when they're walking around morning hello and you don't really get that as much down south forget that if you've got a dog <laughs> oh my god you don't just say hello. You are there for 15 minutes. Oh, well, especially with ours, because it's a silver Labrador, and it confuses people. Oh, what's that? It's a Labrador. Silver? Yeah, silver Labrador. Oh, I've never seen a silver Labrador. Yeah, they are quite rare. Oh, <laughs> and how old is he? He's 18 weeks. I mean, you, you're saying it 20 times a day. But it's, it's, it's nice because you're chatting. It's nice stroke dull. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm glad that people are saying hello, but maybe, maybe not 25 times a day. <laughs> yes. You're going to wear a sign. It's a silver Labrador, for God's sake. Yeah, this is its age. Please don't talk. But I do <laughs> want to talk. I like, the, I like the chat. I just don't want it to be every five minutes. But likewise, uh, I don't want it to be as friendly as the North. I don't want it to be as cold as the South. I want a Birmingham relationship. Yeah, okay. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what kind of dog's that? Labrador. All right, see you later. That'll do. <laughs> That's enough for you. But there's also, we met a girl the other day who was walking a dog and we, we got into the chat and said, oh, what kind of dog is it and how long have you had him? And she said, well, he's not my dog. I'm on a website called Walk My Doggy. And what you do is you register your dog if you want someone to take it for a walk. And if you are the person that hasn't got a dog but want to take the dog for a walk, you go on. No money exchanges hands. And I thought, it turns out the internet isn't evil after all. There are some positives. That is a positive. So people who just want to walk a dog, they just sort of go, I like the idea of taking a dog for a walk. Yeah. This girl was so enthusiastic because I love taking dogs for a walk, but I, I don't own a dog and I can't own a dog in my flat or whatever. And then there's some old lady who can't perhaps walk as, as well as she used to be able to, can't take the dog for a walk. Everyone wins in that situation. And yet, 99.9% of the internet is evil. <laughs> of course, some people argue, well, why can't you put just a, a little postcard up in the news agent's window? It'd still work. And I'd go, yep, yeah, you've got a point. Get rid of the computers completely. I feel as if we're moving on to another subject, that we're moving away from your lovely dog. We are slightly. And we're putting that dog safely, well, a photograph of the dog into the time. Photograph government. of my dog. And I, I just, I, I've decided we've always had cats. Cats are the easiest pet in the world. Yeah. And, you know, people always, it's an old commonly cliche to say, you know, dogs are different to cats. But the real truth is, people have cats who don't want commitment to a pet. And that's <laughs> us. And this time, we've got proper commitment to a pet. And you would encourage people with cats to follow them around and when the opportunity occurs, pick up their poo. Certainly have a look at it. Feel the texture. I mean, you can feel the texture of a poo through a plastic bag. You don't have to squeeze with your fingers. You, <laughs> if it comes up in one, it's the ideal poo. <laughs> That's the way to look at it. If it comes up in one, if you pick and there's still some on the ground, it's not as solid. <laughs> That's oh my, my tip. God. Thank you very much. We've all learned You're something. You're very welcome. Yeah, great. You know, I might forget the dog, just put the dog poo in the time capsule. <laughs> yeah. When they open up a little fossilised dog poo. <laughs> I'm also fascinated by his very controlled diet he's got, how much he's going in and how much he's coming out. And 
the percentage coming out in comparison to what's going in, very small. I mean, where's it going? Well, he is growing massively every day. That's where it's going. But f- uh, yeah, I think I, I think my obsession with dog poo is perhaps uh, <laughs> perhaps getting out of hand <laughs> or getting in hand. Yes, you are right that my aversion to the internet is sort of bringing me on to my next one. If you want, yes, the next indeed. One. So let's move on to well, let's have the next nice one before we we approach the thing that you don't want. Well, this is something that I started doing about five years ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, You've got a worried tone to your voice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And now I do twice a day. (laughs) First thing in the morning and just before bed. Mm -hmm. uh, I have started meditating. Right. I would like to put that in the time capsule, although I don't know how you put meditation into a time capsule, perhaps a book, a manual. Yeah. So what actually started you doing meditation? Well, what, what happened was I was having a walk with TV's Rob Brydon, and he said to me that he had heard that Jerry Seinfeld is into transcendental meditation. Right. And swears by it and is always going on about it. And I'd heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. So I read a bit and got a little bit interested. And then I thought, I'll give it a bash. I mean, it really was just a, a faddy thing at the time. Um, and then one thing led to another. And before you know it, I'd been given a mantra. Uh, I was now doing transcendental meditation because TM is the... You repeat a mantra in your head. Yeah. And, and pretty much that's what started me off. And that was about five years ago. And I've now, not that I'm doing a shameless plug, but this has then evolved into now I do a podcast and it's about my experiences with meditation and an and interest in Buddhism. Now, I'm, I'm emphasising the word interest in Buddhism because I'm aware that I know very little about it. And in fact, I do it with my mate, my one of my old mates from college. And... The first episode, we make it clear that, you know, neither of us drink alcohol anymore. We're both almost vegans and we both meditate regularly. So we're on a mission to find out if there's any truth in all this or are we just a pair of showbiz wankers? <laughs> because we are ticking all the showbiz wankers boxes, aren't we? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, when we met, if we'd have said what we've become, we'd have hated ourselves. <laughs> so we're very aware that have we just become something you know yeah shut up and have another point exactly so we're on that sort of mission to find that out now he's probably gone into it more than i have he he goes on retreats and and we talk about the stories about basically we spend most of the time just rowing just disagreeing with each other about the stuff so it's the least meditative <laughs> buddhist like podcast you could listen to um but I like listen to, I mean, he went away on a retreat um, without me. He wouldn't let me come because I said, I want to come. And he said, you can only come if you share a dorm with other people. And I said, I'm not doing that. I want to share a twin room with you. I don't know these people. And he refused to ask that to the person because he felt that that was not in keeping with, uh, he, thought, he thought I was being a bit showbiz la-di-da. That's what he thought. Yeah. I would like my own single room at most sharing with you. But I wasn't. I just don't like sharing a dorm with strangers even before I was on the telly. Who does? Exactly. Who like, Who enjoys that? And so he went on his own and then it turns out uh, it was quite... Uh, a few odd things happened. We talked about that in the first episode. The one that I liked the most was that he quite a... You know, he's a comedy writer and he... And we've, he decided it would to try and lighten the mood. He'd crack a gag and it didn't go down very well. And the gag was that he said he went out, that they asked him to, to, to go out for a walk in silence mm. for about 10 minutes or 20 minutes, or whatever. So they all went into the garden, they walked in silence. Now, Bernie Man, he doesn't know anyone on this course. I think it's the, the first day. And he comes back 
and he sits down and he'd spotted that three women had walked sort of in a straight line behind each other, looking down at the ground in a straight line. So they said, how did you feel when you were doing it? He said, well, I, I, I was watching other people, actually. And, she, and this, I was watching those three ladies there. And they said, oh, yes, and how did you feel uh, watching them walk, the way they were walking in a straight line, looking down at the ground? He said, to be honest, I felt like uh, I was looking at three ladies looking for the missing glove of an abducted child. <laughs> now... <laughs> how did it go down? Silence. <laughs> Completely. And as I said to Neil in the podcast, that's inappropriate, even if you know everybody. Yeah. But if you don't know anyone, it's the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> and he said it, it, it was tense. And obviously I found it hilarious that he made a fool of himself. And he regretted it the second he said it. But he just thought, because the problem with comedy is, you say some very inappropriate things, especially in writer's room. Yeah. You know, there's things that are said, well, you know, things that you would never want people to hear. <laughs> And he's done a very sick joke and everyone's heard. And now we've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. So that's why I'm allowed to say it again on your podcast because it's out there now, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, so we talk, about, we talk about our experiences of, of retreats and, and stuff, but, but it, there is, there, we're not just here to, to take the mickey out of it. We do, we believe in it. You know, we believe. I suppose you're making a journey of, of trying to see if this thing is any good for you or, in fact, if it, if it has any worth for you. So, I mean, that journey, if people follow you on the podcast through that journey, they may discover the same thing themselves or, in fact, not. Well, exactly. And I think it's become such a mainstream thing now, meditating and, and uh, just even an interest in Buddhism. I mean, it used to be a very fringy thing, but mm. certainly meditation is very, I mean, so many apps out there, you know, it's a bit like the, the 5K thing, you know, people running 5K used to be, I mean, people jogging at all in the 70s were seen as <laughs> quite weird yes. and unusual. Now everyone runs, don't they? Everyone does couch potato to 5K or whatever it's called. Everyone's had a go at it. We've or... all tried the 5K. I have. Yeah. At the beginning of lockdown, I, I thought, no, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to try 5K back to couch potato. You're going the other way. I'm really, really good at it, actually. That's a good idea. Mm. You should bring that out as an app. Yeah, count yeah. 5K to catch. Are you really fit and can run 5K without stopping? Well, how do you fancy sitting down and eating too much food and watching the telly? Yeah. And getting drunk at the same time? Yeah, but we'll, we'll take you in slowly. Get it from 5K down to 4.5K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go 4K, then we eat a packet of crisps, mm. and then we, you know... Every time you run past a cake shop, not long now. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we get Christopher Biggins to voice it. <laughs> Biggins. God, I love Biggins. <laughs> we all love Biggins. I love Biggins in porridge. Yeah. I love Biggins. I've never met Biggins. Have you met him? Have you worked with him? I have met Biggins, yeah. He's meant to be the nicest man in the world, isn't he? Everyone loves Biggins, don't they? He is. He's a delightful man. Absolutely delightful I'd man. Love to, I'd love to get him on Would I Lie To You. I think he'd be brilliant at that. And, uh, but I've always fond memories of him in porridge. It was such a great sitcom anyway. But it was also so dated, the fact that they said, right, we're going to have a man who's going to portray a homosexual. <laughs> so we'd better call him lukewarm. I don't quite know what lukewarm means, but it's probably a Cockney thing, wasn't it, back in the day that it meant a gay man? Probably. He's a bit lukewarm. It sort of sounds right, doesn't it, in a sort of offensive way. He's a bit lukewarm. But also, in that classic way, that they couldn't have a scene without him knitting. It's true. It's true. If you think back of lukewarm, he was always knitting, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, hello, Fletch. <laughs> As he was knitting away. And there was something phenomenally offensive, stroke innocent about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so a uh, whole new world, this podcast world. Mm. I know nothing about it. 
I, I object slightly to the fact that we have to end every episode with rate, review, and subscribe, especially on a podcast that we talk about Buddhism. <laughs> yeah. But the whole point of it is to, to not worry about your ego and to just try and let go of all that. Yeah, yeah. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast about not worrying about the ego. If you liked it, please give us a review. It's, you know. <laughs> and we, we've debated it many times, and my friend's more savvy than me with these things because he listens to more podcasts. I'm, I'm, I just don't get involved in that world. But also, I, I just, going back to that not going out thing, I just, and the BAFTA thing, you know, the fact that we talked about I've won a BAFTA, then the show got cancelled. Yeah, yeah. I got some decent reviews for not going out, it got cancelled. So there's no correlation necessarily between good reviews and longevity anyway. No. Um, we won the Golden Rose of Montreux, and you won the Golden Rose of Montreux, haven't you? Yeah. The programme I was in that won the Golden Rose of Montreux was cancelled the next series. What was that one? I was a thing called KYTV that we did years ago. Ah, uh, yeah, with Angus. With Angus, who uh, who, yeah, who yeah. started doing Would I Lie to You with you? To Absolutely, begin with. Yeah. yeah. Good old Angus. He took, he took me to Man United to watch Man United play Blackburn. I thought he was so showbiz. We <laughs> flew up there and got invited into the, to the sort of posh bit. I remember thinking, this is as posh as showbiz gets. Mm. I was very, very won over by the showbizness of it all. And then Blackburn lost back to reality. Uh, and then actually realised that, you know, I, I think I now prefer to sit in the rubbish end, screaming and shouted, rather than the polite <laughs> yeah, yeah, end yeah. with a shirt and tile. Yes, and you have to sit there and, and you can't shout out. You certainly can't shout out the manager doesn't know what he's doing, given that you're probably <laughs> sat next to the manager's brother. I ha- I've done it with him and I actually sat next to uh, Brian Robson. Oh, brilliant. He turned to me and said, I used to play for this team, you know, and I thought, yes, I know. You were the England <laughs> captain. That's incredible, isn't it? They assume that they've been forgotten in a way. Yeah, but I, I think it's a fair assumption that because I'm always amazed by who recognises who. We, we, with this soccer aid thing I did, mm. first time I did it three years ago, we all had to go on a coach to Old Trafford. And on the f- three or four coaches that went up there, there was Mo Farah, there was Usain Bolt, there was a list of actors and comedians. And we all had to stop at a petrol station, a proper normal service station yeah. on the motorway. And everyone got off for a coffee. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. Mm. to see who gets recognised, you know. I did a bit of people watching. And actually, Usain Bolt is not the most recognised person. Because really? there are people out there that don't follow athletics. They don't really care. No. You'd think he's surpassed that, and he has. But the one that everybody recognised was Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> but it also highlights something which is happening in the world of entertainment, which is, I, I'm one of these people that used to say, being a good cook, being a good chef, is that an act is that something you can take on tour? Is, it, does it warrant <laughs> becoming famous? This, I could never quite understand the explosion of celebrity chefs because I just thought, I mean, Mickey Flanagan said something very funny once. I heard him say on Room 101, I mean, being good at cooking, they've just got organised, haven't they? Red list of ingredients got out of board. Now, that's a bit of a basic way of looking at it, but there's a sort of, I, I was because I'm not interested in that world. I just was a bit amazed at the explosion of cooks and gardeners on television. Yeah. But now, of course, you don't even have to be a celebrity cook. You just have to show them to the table. That's what Fred <laughs> yeah. does. Now, as it happens, Fred, he's, he's very good value. I mean, he really is. I'm, I'm not in any way. There's people with that don't do anything at all that are, are, are famous and they've got great personalities. I mean, Christ, what do I do? I just tell jokes, right? I mm. get it. But 
you can see why kids are going, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be famous. You go, yeah, but what do you want to be famous for? You go, you don't have to be famous for anything. He's famous and he doesn't do anything particular. And you go, mm, well, fair enough. You know, it's yeah. hard to argue with that now, isn't it? Yes, it is possible to be famous and people can't actually say why you're famous. I mean, a lot of people that you see when, you know, for example, if they, when they announce Strictly Come Dancing, I would imagine that 90% of the audience, for most of the people in it, say, who's that? Yeah. By the end of it, they love them. I used to be a bit old school about it, and I used to say, I used to be attracted to entertainment that I could go and see live. So if I'm watching a reality star, I go, yeah, but what are they going to do at the Sunderland Empire, right? Yeah. And the answer is nothing, obviously. But you can't even argue that anymore, because they are at the Sunderland Empire, or the equivalent of. Cooks are showing themselves on big screens and doing shows. People with voiceovers of video games are on tour to arenas. <laughs> you know, you can go on tour with anything, I should know. I'm always on tour. <laughs> it's a terrifying world. Yeah, well, it's different. I know that. It's because people are inventive, though. There's nothing wrong with people being inventive and saying, you know, well, if you like this, I can give it to you. I can do it again. I mean, you, you do a television programme, and yet you've done it as a stage show. You, you mean, would I like to do the tour? Yeah, yeah. Well, I should point out, for legal reasons, we absolutely do not do the television show. Of course not. Otherwise, no. we will be sued. Uh, but we don't. <laughs> we genuinely don't. No, we don't. We don't play that game at all. We just, we simply have a chat with the audience, the three of us. Yeah. You know, we have, we've all, we've got an act. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm obsessed with the word turn and act. There's a comedian... I love at the moment, I love showing my kids and stuff, it's called George Carl. George Carl was, a, was an incredibly funny visual comedian that had a sort of Max Wallness about him. Mm -hmm. He was in Funny Bones with Lee Evans, he played the, the guy that didn't speak for the whole film. Oh, He's got this incredible act. I mean, I, please watch it on YouTube, this, this seven-minute routine. that It doesn't matter how many clips of YouTube you look, it'll always be the same routine he does. Mm. He spent his life working on a seven-minute routine, and it's yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. He spent his life performing seven minutes. Now, everything seems to have gone reversed. People spend seven minutes working out an act that they can do for the rest of their life. And when I say an act, I mean turning up on a reality show and going, I know, I'll be the one that shouts. I know, I'll be the one that gets me top off. You know, <laughs> that'll do, and that's what I'm known for now. What has changed? There was enough room for all the other skilled professional acts, comedians, singers, actors, you know, there was enough room. There's yeah. less room now because it's dominated by reality stars with good personalities. As, as long as there's enough room for all, otherwise, where are the, you know, what's happened to, what's happened to the, oh gosh, I sound like an old man, I can hear myself. What's happened to play for today? <laughs> Was it gone? Remember Crown Court? I mean, please bring back Crown Court. That was the best TV show ever, wasn't it? Best in the world. I loved Crown well, it, Court. It's the Chancellor's fault. We're all going to retrain. All of us. Is that what it is? If we can't get any work in the arts, then retrain. Maybe me and you will be in the jungle saying, oh, I see, you did. You fell for it as well in the end. You gave in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember Catherine Tate being asked, and she said, she was really annoyed because she said, I thought it was going quite well, my career. Uh, <laughs> very good, yeah. Ant and Deck, for example, were, of course, kids' TV presenters. And a lot yeah. of people will see them as making the move into adult television brilliantly well, which to some degree is true, but it is also true. It's not a question of that they've moved into adult television. We've all now started watching children's television. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Celebrity is sort of like a kids' TV show back in the in Saturday mornings, isn't it? Instead of gunk, they throw spiders. Yeah, it's not, not that different, is it, to that? It's, it's, uh, we've just come down to the kids' level of telly. But I have to say, <laughs> they are 
you know, that's a perfect example of if you've got the personality, it'll take you a long way. Because they, they yeah, I, yeah. I think I wrote this in my autobiography. It's impossible not to like them. I think anyone who says they don't like Anakin Day are doing it for effect. Mm-hmm. To be fair to them, they are the absolute real deal. I've worked with them, and they are what you see. They are. All right, Lee, how are you doing? I can't do the voice, obviously, but <laughs> no, me neither. I've never heard anyone say a bad word against him. Well, I think we should move on to the, your final item. Right. Um, how did we go on to Anton Deck from meditation? I've no idea, but I mean, I shall meditate on Anton Deck, and uh, we'll put that into the time capsule. So, uh, yeah. So, our final item. Well, the final item I want to put in, the item that you told me I could bury, never to come out again, because mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of it. I wanted to put in um, gardening, <laughs> particularly vegetable growing. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really, really trying to do the right thing with vegetable growing. I mean, I, I, it's so good for the environment if you do it, if you grow it yourself. So good for you, for all sorts of benefits to grow your own vegetables and fruit. But the... Unless you really know what you're doing, unless you put the time and effort in, the crop you get is piss poor, and I'm really <laughs> annoyed. I did pumpkins for the first time. Yeah. The idea being, if I grow three pumpkins, each one of my children can carve it at Halloween. I mean, what, what a lovely, lovely thing to do. Yeah. That's the, the dream. The reality is not the same. The reality is you go out there. I didn't know pumpkins, I don't know if you've ever grown pumpkins, they're Jurassic. They go everywhere. <laughs> they they're, are, yes. They are, so, I mean, they've taken over every bit of space I've got down there. I don't know enough about <laughs> them to know what I can chop back. The stems are like needles. You can't touch them. They're so sharp. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even find where it starts. I mean, which bits are needed, which bits are going to cut back. I've tried looking online, but I just... Everyone tells you different things. Are there any pumpkins on it? Or is it just this triffid? That is the one thing that is growing, because there, there are pumpkins there. But it's put a, a lot of time and effort. And back in the day, cooking and gardening wasn't a lifestyle choice. It was a necessity. You know, people who didn't have much money had to grow their own vegetables. And I go, but how did they do it? economically because i must have spent about i'm not exaggerating 200 pounds on these four pumpkins if you add up the bed that i had to make i had to put wood around the bed i had to put um certain fertilizers in i've spent a lot of time trying to trim back other things that were going over them and when you go to the shop and see that they're two pound fifty it breaks your heart you go yes i mean when i now go to the supermarket i'm supposed to go ha away with your mass-produced nonsense. But I don't. I go, look at those onions. Mine are like, my carrots are the size of my thumb and they're all wrinkly. These carrots, people will say you can taste the difference. There is some truth you can taste the difference if they grow well, but if they don't grow well, you can taste the difference in the wrong way because you're biting into it and just going, oh, that, that tastes a bit, <laughs> bit softer than it should have been. So I'm, I'm yeah. doing all the right things, but without the rewards. And I've had enough. Turn in your compost. Have you ever done that? <laughs> they've turned compost i have yes they very casually say that don't they online the thing about compost is just to remember to turn it every week turn it every week i went out there to turn my compost i am not exaggerating to say i was out there for 10 hours turning that compost it took so long to get it out and then let's put it all back in again and i'm supposed to do that every week yeah you, know, you can see why people turn up at garden center and compost another example compost i mean it, I don't want mass-produced compost. I'm sure it's terrible for the environment. You open a new packet of compost, you can almost eat it. It's beautiful. My yeah. compost is full of twigs and it's not breaking down. It's been there for two years. It's, <laughs> I'm turning it. It's back-breaking. I want some rewards. Come on. 
<laughs> it is true. There are very few things that you can actually grow if you're trying to grow vegetables, unless you're really good at it. And I've grown a lot of vegetables in my time. I had an allotment for many years, but I discovered there were about three or four things that I grew very easily. Potatoes, stick them in the ground, leave them. Months later, dig them up. There they are. Well, I'll, I'll stop you there, Mike. I'll stop you there. Okay. That's what somebody said to me. That's exactly what I did. And they're not growing. Now, you think, I, last year, brilliant. This year, nothing. Now, admittedly, I did put them in, I tried to grow them in bags. Because yeah. someone said, don't waste your big raised bed with spuds. Especially when they're penny each at Asda. What you yeah. want to be doing is you want to be sticking them in a bag. And I fill that bag with mushroom compost. Do you know what mushroom compost is? I didn't know what it was, but now I know. They don't grow mushroom compost. <laughs> So now I've been left with, I'm not exaggerating, every potato is, is about the size of a marble and I refuse to throw them away and I've attempted to peel them because you can't, and so you peel it and you are left with, I can only describe it as, I mean, it's not even a, a mouthful, I mean, it's not even a bite. There's nothing on this potato and I've got thousands of them, tiny little marbled potatoes. And I just... Like you say, they should be easy to grow. Spuds didn't work. Tomatoes, very upsetting for me. And, and I hate myself. I hate myself. All I wanted was to grow. I grew everything for one stew. Yes. So I said, if I put all these ingredients in a pot and I can just say to the kids, I grew everything in that pot. And we did have that meal. And it was like Christmas Day at Tenko. Do you remember Tenko, that TV show? <laughs> it was like a small ration of like one tomato, a Five marbled potatoes. It was just <laughs> terrible. It was like, was that it? Oh, Absolutely dear. tragic. And I, I was so <laughs> upset. And I, and I hate myself. What I do is I hate myself for going to a supermarket and going, wow, look at that onion. I don't want to, I want to go, Ugh, look at that mass-produced onion. Yeah. But I don't. I go, oh, look at it. It's a thing of beauty. It's so big and round. <laughs> it's so perfect. Oh, Lee, I feel for you. I feel for you. I admire the effort. At least you have grown pumpkins. I mean, they may be misshapen and tiny. <laughs> yeah, well, I've tried. The worst one I did was the grow bags for tomatoes. Mm. I saw them, and it says tomato grow bags. I bought four yeah. of them. I slit the top, so now the soil is exposed. I watered it, and I left it. And I left it for about two months and every day I watered it until someone pointed out, you have to still put tomato plants in it. <laughs> I thought it was within the soil. It said tomato grow bags. So I took <laughs> off the things and just waited for them to grow. And someone said, no, no, they're, they're just a bag of compost is all they are. You just oh, want to plant no. them. And I thought the seeds would start sprouting through and it'd be lovely and it was just, you know, it'd be instant. I mean, I should have just read the back, but to be fair, they didn't, at no point on the back did they say, make sure you add to... I think they just... It was a given that people would know. Because they said tomato grow bags, I would... Tomato. I've seen the word tomato and grow. And I'm thinking, it's all in the bag. Tomato grow bag. I did a little good crop last year, but am I, am I imagining it this year? Everything's odd. Well, you say that. I've had a very good year for tomatoes. Uh, I grew lots of tomatoes in grow bags. And I opened the grow bag. I put tomato plants in them. And wow, did they grow. They were beautiful. I'm thinking of relocating my allotment from out of the attic and <laughs> perhaps doing it outside and seeing if that helps. Uh, oh, in the open air. I was worried that all this rain and sun might ruin them. 
Well, let us know how it, how it turns out. We'll be interested. I will. I will send mm. you some fresh, fresh veg. I might send you some marbles. Tiny, tiny potatoes. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking forward to. So small. So small. <laughs> That's fantastic, Lee. So uh, thank you very much for telling me all the things you want to put in a time capsule. And I look forward to, to digging up my time capsule in many years to come and uh, seeing what I put in there. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. It's been lovely talking to you. Brilliant. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Really enjoyed that. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my very lovely guest, Lee Mack. If you've enjoyed this thing, we have lots of other episodes available. And fortunately, you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or wherever you usually get your podcasts. If you have the time, we'd be most grateful if you would rate us and leave a review. Thanks. And you can follow us, if you want to, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you'll get regular updates about the podcast, which was produced by John Fenton Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music, and it was a cast-off production. So, until next time, I'm off to see how many bullseyes I can get in a minute. Mm-hmm. Here we go, number one. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, oh, that's a tasty one. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, I'm not going to beat the record. Mmm. Oh, right. Now for a sherbet dip. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.